Greetings, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a competitive 40k podcast featuring tips and strategies you can use and about your hour. I am your good host, Shailen Allen-West, and with me today I have just Sean, our neutral host, also known as Abuse Puppy. I've changed my alignment to evil for this episode and this episode only. Ah, that's, that's fair. I, I suppose uh, change alignment is a really obscure spell in the back of the book. Well, and, uh, you know, as the true neutral host, I'm required to balance the podcast out, which means I actually have to be evil for this one. Okay, well, we'll probably be fine-ish. As fine-ish as we ever are. In finest hour, anyways. Hey, I mean, you can always be fabulous. So, I thought I'd start us out today with a really, really brief discussion um, about kind of the factions we own, play, and kind of what we consider our mains. Um, it's, I mean, mine's probably obvious, but it's not as obvious with some of the other hosts. Uh, we're going to start with Sean, obviously, because uh, there's no one else to pick on. <laughs> yeah, I've I've shifted through a number of different armies over the years. My my biggest mainstay has probably been Tau, at least in terms of the armies I've owned and continued to build. Um, but I've played a lot of Eldar over the past three editions because Eldar have been good most of the time. Uh, so that has kind of been what I've taken to tournaments for the most part. But I've I've played around with a lot of factions. Uh, a brief spates with Space Marines, Knights. I own a bunch of Tyranids, but I don't really touch them anymore. We're probably going to get rid of them at some point. Imperial Guard on occasion. And that's not even counting weirder armies like Assassins and whatnot. Yeah, you do have a big smattering of just general miscellaneous Imperial stuff that services a lot of different areas. Yeah, I, I kind of bounce back and forth between armies, depending on what I'm interested in and what's effective. Yeah, you use Space Marine bodies to be any type of Space Marine, from Grey Knights to regular to Chaos, I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, I, I even had a real Grey Knights army at one point. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I counts as quite a lot of different armies using uh, various conversions and whatnot. Uh, some of which end up serving a couple purposes and some of which don't as much. But Space Marines are the easiest one to do that with because a Space Marine's a fucking Space Marine. Yeah. Uh, for context, Sean's armies, uh, he puts really cool rad-looking weapon on the guy, and that cool rad-looking weapon is whatever he needs it to be. Then he doesn't have to remodel or switch out. Yeah, that's it's especially true because I a lot of them are, uh, various Slaneshi Noise Marines. Uh... Have, have served in a number of different roles, depending on what they've been needed as. Yes. I have a lot of Imperial Alliance factions, so this isn't enough to build an actual army out of, but I have enough to maybe field probably a thousand points list, if I'm trying, of most of these factions. And then, obviously, my mainstay is Grey Knights, and I own a lot of Grey Knights. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to own a lot of Grey Knights. They're <laughs> an elite army. Yeah. And I happen to own a lot of a lot of them. But even, yeah, even numerically, you have a lot of Grey Knights. Like, you've got, like, what, like 50 Terminators? Yeah, I have 50 Grey Knight Terminators. I'm that person. Yeah. 
Um, and seven Dreadnights. Yeah, it's you're, you're pretty... <laughs> I can't even legally use all of them right now. <laughs> you're pretty well stocked on them, I would say. The one thing I'm short is is uh, Land Raiders, of all things. I don't own any of those currently. Yeah, that's not a problem. Land Raiders have never been good and will never be good. <laughs> Until the day they're good, in which case I'll have to make another Land Raider pizza just to say I own yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but way coolerly built. You do have uh, quite a few options in terms of allies, because, I mean, you have a legitimate sister's army at this point, but you've also got Guard, Dark Angels... So, I've got... My Dark Angels are modeled as Death Watch, so it's any Space Marine chapter I need them to be. Right. Um. So, I've got Space Marines of all types. I've got Sisters, which I've actually been putting effort into expanding into a real army, so that would be the second army I own. Mm -hmm. Um, I own, like, 70 Orc boy bodies randomly. <laughs> I inherited a lot of miscellaneous models, so I've got a smattering of Orcs. You technically had a Necron army at one point. I still have that. Oh, really? Okay. I <laughs> no, this you'd... is Necrons before the new release stuff, so this is yeah. a lot of Immortals and Croissants, but hey. Yeah. Uh, it's still an army, and a lot. I own three monoliths now. <laughs> the most necessary model. Hey, they're wonderful. They're cool. I wish they were good. I have a Imperial Knight that is still on Sprue. Do you still have that? I have a Castellan, actually. Oh, okay. I sold the old one to you, and then sure. I bought a Castellan. Okay. Here. I thought if I buy buy it for myself in an attempt to slot it into my allied list, they'll stop being stupid good, and it worked. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the Castellan is not bad right now. You could you could no. certainly fit one into a Grey Knight list. But then I lose tides, and that's sad. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole thing about allies. <laughs> um, I do actually own a pretty significant, significant Inquisition, Inquisition force, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guard, I actually have a full guard army. It's still on sprue, but I've got like 200 guardsmen bodies. 200 guardsmen? That's nearly 300 points. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the guardsman I'm turning into my husband's army that I will occasionally foist him to play with me for the purposes of team tournament. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's be a husband-wife duo and go on a 40k date. <laughs> he will hate that and still do it because he knows it makes me happy. <laughs> Alright, uh, my marriage life aside, um, and, well, Ben's not here, I do know, obviously, he owns orcs, um, but he does own a couple other factions and have a couple other factions in his house. Especially some of the stuff his wife plays, like Harlequins. Right. I I was I was discounting her armies because they're you know they're her armies. Um, yeah. Orcs is obviously his 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 big thing. Uh, what else, What other armies does he have? Um, I think he's got some custodes actually. Yeah. Just because they look cool. That's... That sounds correct. As I, say, I know I don't... he's got a couple Imperial Knights because they look cool. Sure. Ben likes to buy models that look cool. I mean, at a certain point, that's all you have left, right? <laughs> I can't really speak for him because I don't have exact details, um, yeah. but I, I do know that he's got some amount of army variants in his house. Yeah. Um, which is the whole purpose we were chatting about that is we are talking today about the 
approaches of difference of approaches with best in faction versus best overall. Yeah, it's we've talked about this a little bit in episodes like goals and whatnot, but they really are different approaches in terms of what you want out of a tournament. And in both these cases, it's not really a matter of like, are you achieving them, but are you trying for them? Yes, and if you're trying for them, it it delineates the context in which you do a lot of your practice, studying, um, and list building, and even just like, okay, what do I purchase next kind of questions. So we'd like to add in the caveat that these aren't pros and cons as much as this is like us kind of describing the reality of following these paths. Sean is in the best overall path. Um, I am personally a best in faction path. Yeah, a lot of this is going to come from whether you... What your goal is, but also what you're interested in doing, and, and maybe to some degree what you're able to do. Uh, because the re the requirements needed for both of these are different. Uh, and you may find that one of these are, is just not really for you because you're not enjoying it, because it's too much for you to handle, or you don't have the time investment, or whatever it may be. And these are kind of, I, I will call these nominally slider ideas. For example, um, Adam, the, the gentleman we had talking about Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights, he played both factions because investing into both of them and becoming best in the world in both of them wasn't was possible for him because the armies were so similar he could just kind of cross between. Mm -hmm. um, so he's a best in faction imperial knights of any variety more than he is just best overall, if that makes sense. Right. In in most cases, you are not going to be absolutely unconstrained. There are very few people who can afford or are interested in that. Um, so you may be best in faction from a couple different armies, or you may be best in faction for one army, but you are probably not, even if you are looking at best overall, you are probably not considering absolutely every possibility. Yes, there's probably some sort of slider limited there, and we'll go into that a little later. The first part I want to talk with is kind of an, an extension of the caveat idea is there's some things that both of these paths are going to require, and I thought we'd just get that out of the way with first. Mm -hmm. um, in either approach, you're still going to have to have knowledge of top medalist archetypes and their mechanics and their gimmicks and kind of their strengths and weaknesses, because if from the perspective of being competitive and being able to compete at the top level, you you have to know what your opponents are. That doesn't change. Yeah, it's you're you're going to need to be good at the game no matter what you play. That's not <laughs> going to be a difference. No. Uh, another thing is, uh, in both pasts, especially in the best in faction path, it is beneficial to understand all factions and kind of their signature mechanics. Mm -hmm. um, for example, it's good to know how Sisters Miracle dice work. You don't have to play Sisters, but you should kind of know a little bit about how that works and some of their more greater stratagems. Like, ah, oh, yeah, they've got a couple stratagems that do this really cool thing, like the advance and charge stratagem they use. Right. Uh, I will point out that this sort of familiarity with our other armies can often be a path 
towards best overall. Uh, as you become more familiar with other armies, you're more likely to become interested in playing them or be willing to try them out. Yes, and I discovered one of the best ways for me to learn other armies is to play other armies so mm -hmm. that I actually mechanically understand them. Um, the usual list analysis, we did an entire episode of this, that applies to all players. Mm -hmm. And strong knowledge of your chosen list, um, because if you don't know how your own list works, you're going to be not doing super hot. Yep. And obviously, Math Hammer is always very, very good, because especially if you're playing an army you don't know as well, being able to do some really basic statistics in your head to basically be like, okay, that's about how much firepower I need, and this is how much I might have to dedicate to kind of cover up the averages, variance, and such. Yeah, I would, I would say that the best overall is going to require you to have a more explicit grasp of the Math Hammer, um, you are going to be able to need to, you know, that was a mess of a sentence, uh, you're going to need to be able to do the actual math and sort of crunch results and likely things, whereas if you're playing within your faction, you can work off a more intuitive approach, where it's like, I, I, I kill roughly this much, as opposed to someone who is playing a dozen different factions, um, they're going to need to be able to say, well, like, this is the statistical average and this is the variance I'm going to deal with. Exactly. Um, so, as stated, all the gen that's why we talk about general skills on this podcast. You're still going to need to know how to do tempo manipulation. You're still going to want to kind of be aware of the attacker defender. All None of that went has gone away because it's playing the game. Yeah, um, neither of these is requiring more or less skill at the game. Um, they may require a different breadth of knowledge, but in terms of your sort of absolute skill level, they're, they're going to be the same sort of requirements. You're just looking at different aims with them. Yes. So let's transition into best overall. It won the coin toss, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, w when we say best overall, what are we talking about? So, best overall is... Um, I look at it as kind of a slider. This one's a little more slidey than best in faction. Because for most people, best overall is the best overall of the factions they personally own. For example, with you, Sean, I noticed that Eldar are really good, so mm -hmm. if Tau aren't doing great, you'll switch to Eldar any day of the week. Sure. Uh, again, most people are not playing with unlimited faction choices. Even when Iron Hands were really good, Iron Hands weren't really an option for me. Exactly. Um, so, that's a thing to note, is uh, best overall is someone who... The way I look at it is they've got a tool cabinet... Each faction is its own tool cabinet, and what they're doing is they're selecting which cabinet they're pulling out of the garage to mm -hmm. work with. Um, do they need the socket wrenches, or do they want the screwdriver cabinet? Um, or kind of a mixed bag cabinet. So, a lot of best overall is you have, you, you constrain yourself less, which means you get the benefit of choice. Yeah, you, the real advantage here is that you can switch things up, uh, that you can adjust and adapt to the meta and take whatever you think is going to be most effective, 
or also like take things that are going to surprise people or keep the game interesting for you. Yes. Um, for example, allies are a thing that's an option. If you've got uh, best overall as a thing you're going for, you're not restricted to any of the, well, I have to keep my army pure restrictions. Mm-hmm. You can also tailor lists to suit your li- your playstyle. Like, for example, if the most competitive thing in Orcs was buggies, and you wanted to play boys for days, well, maybe you can switch to, say, Tyranids, where it has a playstyle more in line of your preferred mode of play. Um, so that's always a, a benefit to this. Because you have to have that extra breadth of research and understanding of kind of how every faction relates to every other faction... Theoretically, it will make you a little more strongly prepared for anything you encounter, because you're already researching what the best faction is, so it's going to teach you more like that. Yeah, you you were, with with this sort of approach, you were looking at diving in pretty deep to things. Yes, uh, and if you want to win the top of LVO, you're going to need a best overall approach. Uh, unless you happen to have a faction that's top tier at the time. Mm-hmm. which is, I mean, there's enough factions in the game, there's no guarantee that's going to be true. Um, especially if you're playing an unpopular faction. Then this is the this is the option that gets people to the very, very top, and the way they kind of have to operate. Yeah, if you if you look at most of the, the top level players in the game, most of them are doing this. Um, you have some who stick within a a single faction or group of factions. Uh, Sean Naden is obviously pretty famous for just playing Eldar, but even within that, like, he's still playing Harlequins and Yanari and Craft Worlds and Drukhari, so he's really playing four factions there. Um, the But the really, really good players, even, say, Richard Siegler, uh, are still switching between different factions, and much more commonly you have, you know, Nick Natavati, who essentially just owns every faction, uh, because it's his job, and he yeah. needs to learn all of them. Um, that is typically what you are seeing from the very top-end players, is that they know everything because they play everything. Yes. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well, depending on what your goals are. Now, there are some consequences to this for such thing. There's the idea of too much choice. If you're someone who has choice paralysis, this is probably not the best idea for you. Yes. Uh, because you are going to have to be making some very broad ranging decisions. Yeah. And it is, and your broad ranging decisions are dependent on your capacity for research and deep diving. Uh, to some degree so it's like there are no explicit right choices for a faction to play with but some are noticeably better than others because there's always a top tier and a bottom tier in our meta right kind of can't be helped by the nature of the situation yeah you have to practice a lot because you got to know a lot yeah uh and you're going to practice a lot with lists that end up being not very good uh because you're going to be throwing out a lot of ideas because they just don't work um, if you are aiming for best overall, you are looking at a large time investment to the game, um, because you are picking from a whole lot of different options, 
both in terms of factions and then in terms of models within those factions. Um, if you're not playing at least a couple of games a week, this may not be a good approach for you. Yes, and it can also be a very expensive one. If you're really properly meta-chasing, you're probably going to have to get some of the newest models. You're going to definitely have to get each new codex as it comes in. You, you think about all that and that research investment and the modeling investment, and you realize it's it's a thing. Yeah, uh, and this can be mitigated to a degree by uh, borrowing models from friends, by using various counts as armies, uh, or by sort of restricting your sliders a little bit to not include absolutely everything. Um but all of these are only mitigating it. You are still looking at a very large time investment if you want to realistically uh, chase the top spots in the game. Um, now, admittedly, this is true as well for other approaches, but um, as you expand your scope, you expand your investment. That is the big thing about 40k, is it has kind of an infinite deep end, and best overall is the extremist form of that. Yeah. Um, now, admittedly, as we said, it's it's you can use a bit of the slider version, where Sean picks from the best of the stuff he's got, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the, the more typical best overall I see in the more reasonable approach, um, because he still gets... Um, We'll, we'll get back to that idea of the slider at the end of the episode, but it's got a lot of cool benefits to be kind of a slider player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the if you are looking at best overall, I think it also benefits you to look at what your plausible goals for that are, because... We've been kind of talking about this as though, like, oh, you are just going to try and win the tournament, which, I mean, you are, but um, you can also have a realistic expectation of whether or not you are going to win the tournament, and that will affect how you pick your army and whatnot. Um, yeah. If you are typically a 4-2 player, you may not need to worry about whether you are picking the absolute best meta option. Yes. Um, it could be, uh, depending on your overall skill level, it could be best overall simply means the best I can do. Yeah. And remember that the, from the goals episode we did, that there's sliders there, and you are always in progress towards something. Mm -hmm. um, so do keep that in mind. Um, so I have a quick question, Sean. I, I do know that you're kind of one of those best of the stuff you own. Um what made you start picking up your second army, so to speak? What got you doing that? Initially, it had very little to do with uh, tournament play, exactly. Um, I'm the sort of person that just likes having options. Um, and it wasn't so much like, oh, this army is bad, I need to buy something new, and more just, I want to be able to do something different. Because um, I initially started with Tyranids and then kind of moved over to Tau, and I just wanted an army that played very differently than Tyranids. So it's like, okay, I'm playing Tyranids, they are a swarm melee army, I'm going to move to Tau, they're a relatively elite shooting army. Um, yeah. So for me, it was more about variety than anything else, and I think that is 
still true even now to a significant degree. So where it's not just like I need to have the best army available, but I want to be able to try different things out on a regular basis. Yes. Okay. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with that because it's good to see the actual perspective that drives these choices. Um, yeah, we're we're talking a lot about the tournament perspective, but it's it's worth remembering that there are usually other reasons for why you are making the choices. Yeah, um, for example, like, uh, because you have variety, if something you're working on ain't working for you, you can switch to something else. That has a non-negligible positive effect. I mean, I've I've <laughs> suffered the monofaction burnout. Yeah, and, and avoiding that burnout is a big part of why I end up doing it, uh, both from a hobby perspective and from a mechanical perspective. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy getting to work on different things, and uh, for me that means that I'm kind of inevitably going to play multiple factions. All right. Thank you for that, Sean. So we're going to step out and have a brief intermission where... We will most certainly rehydrate ourselves with the finest processed water. Totally doesn't look yellow. And then we'll come back after the break. Are you a player in the Pacific Northwest looking for a GT to get yourself back into 40k? I got an event for you. It's called Vulcan Summer BBQ 2021. It's hosted by Jason Bird, an excellent TO from the Pacific Northwest area, and it has lunch provided both days. Excellent BBQ. Jason totally knows how to do good eats. It is a non-standard tournament situation, missions will be table-specific, and it's live a little narrative component just for kind of funsies. So, it's a great icebreaker. Get yourself back in the tournament. It's happening July 31st, 2021. You can find the tournament on BCP. Get your ticket. And we're back, and I, I'm i not sold on their color description, but that's a different problem. Well, color is subjective. <laughs> I'm not colorblind enough to be fooled by that. <laughs> uh, so, best in faction. This is, this is my style of play, uh, as I've made it clear. Um, so, rather than picking the best... If, if I were to go back to the first part of the episode, best in faction is less about picking the best toolbox than you only have one toolbox, but you're really going to narrow in and pick the best tool set. So in that sense, it's less complicated. You've got a limited tool set, so you're just trying to make a small subset of things work as best as they can. Um, and because it's like a focused interpretation like that, like, for example, if I see something that's like, oh, that's a strength six weapon, that has a very specific meaning and mental acknowledgement it calls in my head because it wounds my dreadnights on a 4+, plus, for example. 
than it might for Sean, who has a million different things that care more and less about strength six. Mm-hmm. It is obviously less of an investment to only invest in one faction, but you can still drive it off the deep end and get yourself 50 Terminator bodies. It's okay. <laughs> so in in that, but it's just like, as I said, like I, I play one of the smallest factions in the game, so I don't even have a lot of units within my faction um, that I have running around, because there just aren't that many in the book to start with. Yeah, it's, you know, you only need so many strike squads. It, it turns out when you get up to about 40 strike squad bodies that covers most situations in the current point scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a, a thing I've observed is, socially speaking, best in faction people, people who are very persistent in their faction choice, there's a certain kind of honor amongst the community for that. It's like, yeah, you're putting up with your faction even when it's bad. You don't abandon it. Yeah, you, you have a reputation as the insert name of faction player uh, in your local area, and people kind of recognize that, and there is certainly a certain amount of respect for that. Uh, just because, like, yeah, you, if you stick with it, then people give you some credit for that. Oh, yeah. Um, and everyone usually starts monofaction. Um, I don't know many people that just, like, I'm gonna collect three different armies when I start this hobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm certain they exist. <laughs> I, I think allies maybe break that a little bit because we you do see people starting off with an allied army of some fan, uh, some fashion. But uh, mm-hmm. I think for the most part, you are right. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's a it's a phase everyone goes through, quote unquote. Um, but the other really big benefit is you, if you really dive into one faction, you get intimate with all the nuanced specific details of that faction. And for someone who's more generalist, you can know those little corner niche cases way better than people who are more generalized in their play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a story of pulling out a nuanced detail stratagem out of my back pocket that startled Josh Death when he was at the height of his 40k career. He was not expecting... And uh, threw a wrench in his plans because he, honest to God, did not remember that was there. Yeah, the the hope with f- focusing so entirely on one faction is that you know everything there is to know about them. Um, so you can you can direct your time in a a much more specific uh, subset of the game, uh, which uh, makes practice and other stuff easier in that regard. Yeah, and it also makes, like, kind of initial interpretations, like, if a bunch of new stuff keeps getting bang, 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 bang released, um, since you're looking at it in a mono in a more narrow lens, you're looking at it, how does it relate to my army versus how does it relate to everything? Mm-hmm. One of these is less work than the other. Um, that said, I became a better Grey Knight player by starting to play other armies, so... Don't, don't not do the work we said at the top of the episode. You're not immune from that aspect of it. Yeah, if, if you really want to be winning best in faction, you are still going to have to learn other factions. Yeah, and you're going to have to be prepared for playing people at the top tables because you're going to have to bring your army up that high. Mm-hmm. 
So another thing to note here is being festive faction is not without some consequences. Um, if your faction isn't at the top, you're just going to struggle. That's just a fact. And sometimes your faction can be at the outright bottom, and that sucks super bad. Yeah. And I'm to be frank, outside of Space Marines, you're not going to get a lot of releases, probably. As much as I hate to say that that's true, there is a lot of bias towards that particular faction, but when was the last time Eldar got a real model? Um, if we were talking Craft World Eldar, uh, the most recent model release for them was the Bone Singer Limited kits that was only available for like a week. Uh, and that was in like, I want to say early 7th edition, or yeah, it must have been like mid to 7th edition. Uh, prior to that, it was their airplanes. Um, Fun. and yeah, they, they are still sitting on a lot of 2nd edition kits. Um, I do know they got the Banshee kit updated. Oh, that's true. There was the the Banshee kit. I had forgot about that one because Banshees aren't a real unit. <laughs> yeah, I guess there. I guess there was the the updated Eldrad kit as well that came out of that same thing. Yeah. So from Sean's perspective, in the last like couple of years, his kit has had his army has had two kit updates. Yeah, on units Yikes. that no one is using. <laughs> Yeah, um, that is very much the case. And then there were sisters that for years got nothing and then suddenly got a whole new model line. Weird. Yeah, uh, it, it is very likely if you are playing a non-Marine faction that you just, you see like one or two kits per edition. Yeah, so uh, do keep that in mind. The other thing is, it's easy to become a pretty good player and kind of get a basic intuitive knowledge of the meta without really deep diving. So it can kind of lead you astray as to how good you are or what you need to do to improve. It's like, I know enough! There's a good bit of arrogance there amongst uh, best in faction players, and I've been a victim of it myself, so... Be honest with yourself. Yeah, there's, there's a big difference between knowing your faction and having played various other factions, and actually understanding those factions. Uh, because I have played lots of mono-faction players that know their faction fairly well, um, but really don't understand other armies at all, and kind of treat them the same way they treat their army. Yeah. Um, and a another thing that can be quite true is the most competitive build for your faction might be something you dislike uh, like there mm -hmm. was a competitive orc list for a while it was like 300 Gretchen bodies no one wants to play 300 Gretchen bodies most no one yeah that's that's not necessarily any fun at all for many reasons uh, and also you're to, to be frank a, a FAQ with a nerf bat can be really unfun for you because you can go from anywhere between okay that was my one competitive build to well now I'm at the bottom of this eh. yeah that that can be very awkward and it can happen very quickly too because 
if if a new list or a new army kind of takes dominance, like Drakari have recently, you mm-hmm. can go from doing pretty well to suddenly just really dumpstered. And there may not be a lot you can do about it, especially if you were in a smaller faction that just does not have that many viable builds. Yeah. Grey Knights, for example, has a couple different details within its list, but it kind of has, like, two competitive top faction lists. Mm-hmm. And they're basically the same. It's more of, did you pick option A or option B? Yeah, which will often be the case uh, for a single faction army. Um, if you haven't gotten a codex recently, chances are very good that you're going to be largely locked into a mono build. That said, uh... It can still be a lot of fun. I mean, there is a certain amount of kicks I get out of being, oh yeah, she brought Grey Knights, and looking at the one Demons player across the room with that one smile the Grey Knight players always have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I play him round one and I feel terrible about what happens next. <laughs> but, <laughs> that detail aside. Um, and I do know some people that, like, their their idea of best in faction, I know someone who plays best of Slanesh, so... He will pay anything that has the slash keyword. Mm-hmm. It's it's again, it's kind of you're adjusting your slider a little bit to give you some range of different options, but choosing what your constraints are. Yeah. And at the end of the day, most players, uh, in ver- wherever level they are in the game and their gaming growth, will have to pick and choose. Um, where they stand on the slider and what constraints they have, because adding constraints can make your can reduce the amount of research you need to do, can reduce the cost and things like that. So do keep in mind that neither of these are wrong, but there are there are realities to these situations. Yeah, if if you if you're trying for best overall, you are going to have to invest a lot of time in the game. We kind of emphasized that earlier, but you know that's that's just what it is. Um, you're gonna need to spend ten or twenty hours a week working on lists, practicing, building models, painting models, and if you can't invest that kind of time or don't want to invest that kind of time the naming for rest overall just may not be the right choice for you um, because it's a big hurdle. Uh, it, it's going to take a lot of work. You're not going to get to the top and you're not going to climb over all the other players who are trying to get to the top without putting a lot of work in. That is very true. This, that is true, regardless of which path you take, but best in faction is statistically not going to get you up there. Um, just... Just saying, it's just like, ah, yes, I've picked this faction, and unless it's something like Space Marines, also known as Poster Boys, it's kind of a crapshoot whether or not it's any good. Well, and let's be honest, popularity does not mean being good. Space Marines have been bad for a lot of the game's history. Uh, That's true. So, just because you are playing a popular faction does not mean you are going to have a good army. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of misnomers about that, too, where it's like, oh yeah, Space Marines makes up a lot of thing, it must be good. Well, and no, Games Workshop advertises it harder than any of the other factions, it keeps updating it. So it's the most alive. Yeah, just a lot of people play them. So 
they they get a lot of representation whether they're good or not. Yeah. Um so and sometimes like for examples uh when your army suddenly goes from being crap to good it can be really hard to find models for it. Yeah. That happened to me. Yep. Not that I needed many, um but I still needed to buy like one kit of strike marines and getting that was an adventure. So, I have kind of a, a a side question for you here, Shailen, because you are a pretty dedicated best-in-faction player, uh, up until yes. you more recently started doing your sisters, you were pretty exclusively Grey Knights, um, mm-hmm. not counting allies, obviously. How do you draw okay. the line for allies? Um, what What do you use to put your limit there? So... When I was doing that, um, I went by the ITC guidelines. Uh, basically, I wanted the Grey Knight's Best in Faction trophy, so I had to build my armies to be legal to get that and to get points for that. So in most of 8th back, um, I could take allies and still get Best in Faction, provided that over half of my army was Grey Knight's mm-hmm. keyword. So... Basically, yeah, a thousand and one points of my army would be Grey Knights, and then something else would fit there, and I would choose a much more meta-competitive slot to stick in there, or a tool that my Grey Knight army lacked. Guard was an option I often played. Sisters, back uh, before their codex, actually, they made a great ally army, mm-hmm. so they were really handy for me to have. Um... So you were you were very explicitly working off of I want to win the best in faction award. Yes, and I never quite got it, but I made top three several years in a row. Sure, uh, because another perspective on that would be I want to play a pure version of my army, which is obviously what you kind of need to do now in order to actually get best in faction for the ITC. Uh, but, yeah. you know, not all tournaments are necessarily the same in that regard. Um, so I, I think that is another slider that is worth po- pointing out, is what are your constraints for the faction you play and the kind of army you are looking at? Um, if, you, if you decide, I want to play Horde Orcs and I want to do the best I can do with that, uh, that is a different set of constraints than just, I want to play Orcs. Indeed, uh, you can sub down and divide down. Like, you can build a Grey Knight army with absolutely zero power armor bodies. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have Terminators as a troop choice. You can alternatively build a Grey Knight army without Terminators, which is also possible, but probably not as competitive. Yeah. So, I mean, um... Uh, that was the restriction I went under, is I my specific goal was the ITC Best in Faction Award, so I always went with whatever their rules were. Mm-hmm. Now that I have the option of playing pure Grey Knights and um, actually not hating that experience, because they're, they can stand on their own without needing a lot of extra help, Tides has done wonders to that army, mm-hmm. I'm not... I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not by restricting the allies out of my book. Right. But inquisitional allies and uh, assassins are still things I'm going to consider because they don't break tides and they don't break my Grey Knight's rules for ITC. So those are still on the table and in consideration in my list building process. Right. 
Um, but that's where I personally drew the line, and other people draw the lines in other places. I know people that would not be best of Grey Knights, but would always have some amount of Grey Knights in their army, because that was the thing. Because they liked that faction, but they knew it was bad, but they're like, well, I'll at least take a little patrol of Grey Knights so I can have some representation of my favorite faction on the table. Mm-hmm. It was basically a Vortex of Doom, doom drop-in squad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, it's a strategy and it works. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it can be nice to include, like, a small amount of your favorite faction in the army, even if it's maybe not necessarily ideal. Yeah, um, and that's how that some people stay truer to their best in faction favored origins while not hating their lives on the competitive scene back when Grey Knights were kind of atrocious. Mm-hmm. An alternative way to avoid burnout. Um, I can say that allies did make me a better player. It made me learn other factions. Uh, it made me study their tools to see what I should slot in. So I'm I'm not going to discount that. And I do think allies are still an, a valuable part of the game in that regard. Yeah, uh, there's there there's a lot more to be said for the decision than we can really go into here because it's it's a big type decision like it it affects the whole way you play the game uh but then there are a lot of factors that go into that yes and um i kind of wanted to go back to the end of the episode where we talk about kind of the slider because there's as we've expressed there are subsets there are there's a whole spectrum of play where it's more like be- two bell curves rather than just two, like, block lines, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not a clear and obvious case in, in, of one being better. Yeah, and I know a lot of people, like Sean, that, own, that kind of, what I would say, main a handful of factions, and they kind of pick between that set. Like... It's still in more of an investment than just picking one faction, but, for example, I don't have to buy new stuff for my sisters right away, because I've got all the Grey Knights I would ever need and a couple extra. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it means I have something to tide my time while I'm waiting for my finances to align, or while I'm patiently not buying the big new box set so my husband has a chance to buy me a gift because it always makes him sad when I yoink it on him. (laughs) (laughs) My life. Models before flowers. Yeah. Um, But the other thing is having these extra factions uh, is I can have a friend over pull out an an entire functional army and hand it to them and say, let's learn how to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to go get armies from anyone else. I don't need to do anything fancy there. I just I just have all the resources for that kind of mentoring. Or just loaning to someone um, who wants to explore a faction. I mean, I borrowed Sean's Tau, and that's how I learned how to play Tau. Yep. It's, it's definitely a big advantage of having a couple of different armies like that. Um, and it's even true for smaller games, like, you know, if you're only playing a 1,000-point a game or you're playing uh, a Kill Team or something like that, um, just having access to a handful of models can be nice. Yeah, and it can be fun. Uh, every time I do a painting competition, I always have to paint a demon, and it's something very, very different than what I paint, so it's kind of fun for me. 
But at the same time, why do I always get a demon? <laughs> it's your own fault. Uh, anyways. <laughs> but yeah, and as we said, like you can swap around to avoid burnout, or you can focus in on something really, really hard and get be the best thing at that idea as you can be. So it could be like, oh yes, my gimmick list, I shall murder you with it, because you have no counter, and I know my gimmick list super good. Yeah, if if you are playing a a single type of thing like that, again, you can you can get a reputation and, and people will kind of know that, but there is a, a certain joy to really focusing in on one specific list. Yeah. Um, for example, if you want to play Orc Hordes because that's you like TLWA and it's what makes you happy, do it. I mean, you can still be as competitive as you can be with that. Uh, just also have the understanding and realistic expectation you're probably not taking the top of Elvia with it, unless that's like the new meta hotness randomly. Yeah, I would definitely reinforce that. Like, if you are sticking to a single faction, that's a very respectable choice. You can still do well with that. But I see a lot of mono-faction players who expect that their army should be equally competitive with every other army in the game. And that's a nice ideal, but that has never been the reality of the game. Um... And what that means is if you are restricting yourself to a single faction, it is pretty unlikely that you are going to have a shot at winning the tournament. Unless you are a very good player and your faction happens to be in vogue right then. Yes. Um, I will comment, though, this is one of the one of the actual reasons I'll just let you in on a secret that I'm starting up Sisters, is so that you don't have to play Granites every time you come over to my house. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. Uh, there's there's definitely something to be said for for variety, but uh, you know, don't make friend don't make armies to please your friends. Uh, that's that's not something I can recommend to people. <laughs> No, I'm not making it to please you. I'm making it because I want to actually own and play sisters, and I want Callie to go murder something with her teeth again. Right. Because um, that's how she do. Um, but I, but it's also so that Sean doesn't get burnt out coming over to my house to play 40k is definitely an investment I think is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So... And as for best in faction thing, I mean, I did stick with Grey Knights long enough to see them actually go from crap to totally okay. So my patience paid off, and maybe I could finally go 4-2 at a tournament and not hate myself. Yeah, and GW is moving towards that, hopefully being more of the general model. Uh, we'll see to what degree they're able to succeed with it in 9th edition, but... We have certainly seen more armies be more viable than they were before uh, in recent years. So there's 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 less of a chance that you will be stuck with a complete trash army. Yes, they are. They're very very good. This is not seventh edition where if it's not top tier, it's garbage tier. So there's less of a difference there, and GW is actively trying to level the playing field so that all factions are viable. For whatever they decide that means. Yeah. Um, 
So I do know that that's what the company is trying to do with the game. So, I mean, as I said, patience did pay off. And I, I actually enjoy playing my Grey Knights now because the army actually works. And I'm not fighting the army every two minutes just because it's bad. <laughs> Way more fun. So, um, that basically concludes it for now. Sean, you want to do the your usual summary? Yeah, if you have liked what we did here and would like to talk with us about it, or maybe disagree with us and also want to talk to us about it, you can contact us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, where we are In The Finest Hour. And if you'd like to help support the show for $5 a month, you can join our Patreon, gain access to our private Facebook group and our very useful Discord server, where we will post memes and talk about bullshit and discuss our life events and generally just sort of hang out and have a good time. So thank you very much to all of our Patreons. We could not do this show without you. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrew for doing our epic, epic art, which you should never, ever play badly in vain for before um <laughs> he does our banners icons and various other little thingamabobbins we get here and there uh you can find him on instagram spot and well not spotify but uh pinterest facebook and i think deviantheart these days yeah. We'd also like to thank Dank Muse for our dank, dank, awesome tunes that we have in the beginning, middle, and end of our episodes. Mm-hmm. We appreciate their sharing their music with us this entire time. They've been with us for several years, and we really like their music, so yay! It's good stuff. You can find them on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And next week, but for however this week, it's been Shaylin Allen West. Sean Morgan. Thank you. <laughs>